What's new listeners, I'm Arthur Howell, the host of Two Cents Critic. If you want to mood for reviews of books, movies, and TV shows, then join in. Today, we'll be covering Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Devon, the 2022 Goodreads Choice of Word winner for Best Fiction. And joining us for that discussion is Christy, host of the Celebrity Tea Spelling Podcast, X Knows All. Say hi, Christy. Hi, Arthur. I'm so excited to be here. It's such a pleasure and such an honor, and I'm so glad we were finally able to connect on the book. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm really, uh, really thankful to be here. And it's funny because we were actually connecting first uh, through, through Tori over from Ready to be Petty because, and you know, I'm saying that because she has been a guest a few times on Two Sense Critic, a guest here on a few episodes. And so it's great, you know, have the connection to podcast network. Yeah, because Tori and I are, are very close. I actually just met her in person when she was visiting uh, Southern California. I saw last, that. Last Friday, actually. On Instagram, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we met, we met each other on a trivia night for Ready to be Petty. And we've been in touch and in contact ever since. And I love seeing you in my DMs and everything. And when we were talking, when you and I started chatting, we were just start, we were talking about this book, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And I mentioned to you, I'm like, oh, I'm in the midst of, I'm almost done with this book. And you even mentioned to me, you're like, oh, I've been intending to read it, but I haven't gotten the chance. And if you want to come on my show, we can talk about it. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Because this is, I mean, spoiler alert, is one of my favorite books I think I've ever read. Uh, Yes, I I haven't read that. But I feel like I would definitely want to check out more of, uh, of, of Zevin's work after this, because... I mean, you know, just to, you know, say the book, you know, the book is great. It was fantastic, you know, in my opinion. And I'm sure, you know, Christy, you'll say that as well. You know, you loved it as well. But before I get into our general thoughts and feelings, I'll read uh, the back cover for anyone, for any listeners who don't know what the book is about. On a bitter cold day into December of his junior year at Harvard, Sam Mazur exits a subway car and sees, amid the hordes of people waiting on the platform, Sadie Green. He calls her name. For a moment, she pretends she hasn't heard him, but then she turns, and the game begins. A legendary collaboration that will launch them to stardom. These friends, intimates since childhood, borrow money, beg favors, and, before even graduating college, they have created the first blockbuster, Ichigo. Overnight, the world is theirs. Not even 25 years old, Sam and Sadie are brilliant, successful, and rich, but these quantities won't protect them from their own creative ambitions or the betrayals of their hearts. Spanning 30 years, from Cambridge, Massachusetts, to Venice Beach, California, and lands in between and far beyond, Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow is a dazzling and intricately imagined novel that examines the multifarious nature of identity, disability, failure, the redemptive possibilities in play, and above all, our need to connect, to be loved and to love. Yes, it is a love story, but it is not one you have read before. All right, so that's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Oh, that may just even hearing you like replaying like the back cover, it's like, and I'm also on Goodreads right now, just like on my other screen, and I'm like kind of reading it alongside with you, and it just, ugh, like this book is so much more than I think people even understand before they before they even read it. It's just, it's, yes. it's a love story. Like, I think it's perfectly well said. It's a love story. But it's not really the typical love story that you would think. Yes, yeah, it stretches over lots of territory in this book, which you know we'll be getting into. But now our general thoughts and feelings on the book. So, Chrissy. Yeah. So for me, 
I was a bit trepidatious to read it for first off because I've just never been super into video games when I was growing up in elementary school I did play Oregon Trail so that was really nostalgic for me to hear it being discussed so often and frequently in the book but beyond Oregon Trail maybe playing like Mario Brothers a couple times with my cousins growing up I was never a gamer and I don't know I basically know virtually zero about video games so when I first read the back cover I'm like oh am I going to take any interest in this because you know, it's about video gamers and people that develop video games. So maybe I just don't have much in common with the characters. And I think a lot of people through my reading of the reviews on Goodreads, a lot of people had the same sentiment. They were saying, you know, usually a topic that would bore me to tears, such as video games and development and software development would make me very bored. But it goes beyond so much of just video games. Like, yeah, a lot of it is video game discussion. But really, I think the heart of the book is following these two characters Sadie and Sam and it kind of goes through like the like you mentioned 30 years history so from when they Sadie met Sam in the hospital all the way to when they got reconnected when they were both attending college in Boston and then into their young adulthood when they both moved to LA when they started this like video game company and they became they came into a lot of wealth Uh, and it it discusses I think friendship and the love that you have for friends and just the tumultuous nature that two friends can come through, whether it's between the two of you, whether you're seeing your best friend be hurt by another person. It just felt so real and relatable and not so like in your face of trying to make any kind of political statement or any kind of statement at all. It just kind of felt organic to read about two people and following the lives of them for a span of 30 years. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. I gave it five stars on my Goodreads. Yeah, that's, that's fitting. I, I, I gave it five stars, four five stars in Goodreads as well. It's just, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. I really do wish that I that I'd read just last year, because you know it was it, again it was on the TVR pile, and I do think if I if I read it last year, I might have put it on my you know my top ten books of twenty twenty two. And now that I read it, I am like, oh, no wonder it won for best fiction and and Goodreads. You know, it's like, so I'm I'm glad for that win, even though I have problems with the other maybe like the other Goodreads stuff that happened, the other good reach choice awards. But I feel like this is a good win. This is a good one. I agree. I agree. And I think a lot of people a lot of people agree that I think right now on Goodreads it's four point three out of five stars. And that's that's pretty good because yeah, it has yeah. over almost two hundred and fifty thousand ratings. Oh yeah and, and and also this will be getting getting uh, an adaptation apparently. It was Paramount Pictures and Temple Hill Entertainment purchased the film rights for this back in twenty twenty one for $2 million. One of the producers for this is Rick Godfrey, who is notable for producing The Twilight Saga and the Maze Runner film series. That's an interesting little connection. Oh. Do we know who the cast is going to be? For uh, not, or probably not, not yet. Producing it. No, nothing yet for the cast. We just know about uh, the film rights have been bought. We also do know that Zevin will be writing the script for this movie. Oh, great. Which is, yes, because uh, uh, that's really important. Because yeah. a lot of the times that the script can get lost and the the heart of the novel can get lost when it becomes adapted into a screenplay, but that makes me feel better that she's writing the script. Yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to the movie when it comes out to adaptation. But getting back to the book itself, so so I'm coming. So it's I like hearing your perspective about in terms of uh, of gaming because from I'm coming from the perspective of someone who loves gaming but hasn't been actively gaming in a while. So. So, for, so reading this, I was like, okay, it'll be easier for me to get into this, and it was like, I, like 
like not that it was easier for me to get into it than like someone who's reading this, but they're a non-gamer. But just like when the gaming stuff does come up, I can personally connect with it more. Like even if they mention, you know, if they mention like certain games or certain or studios, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that's that that you know that clicks on little gaming, little gaming neurons on my brain. And it was so that oh my, was that's really so great cool. read. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely it was. What? What about like? From a perspective, and I know this takes place in like the, this is kind of like the Gen X generation. Sam, the, the main character is a protagonist in the novel. They're like, it takes place in like the 80s and I think early 90s. 90s, and then also goes so, into the 2000s as well, towards, towards the end. Yes, exactly. So like, I guess today they will probably be maybe in their 40s or 50s. But f- that's actually really interesting that you're, that you come out from a gaming perspective. What are like certain things that you think, kind of putting on the spot here but what are certain parts of the book that you were like oh as a gamer i can appreciate that and i'm not sure someone who isn't into gaming could as much like understand this there are certain design like when they're talking about certain design elements like when they're talking about like 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 so the way that the water looks i can keep spoiling like the way that the water looks like again as someone who comes from like appreciating gaming like knowing that it's like, oh yeah, I can really appreciate certain details like that because certain things like that are tough to handle. Even just in general, like even just in animation in general, not just video games. In animation, water I know is like one of the hardest things to to do in animation, just in general, because water is like a constantly moving entity, and you have to like it's always moving, or like anything that constantly moves around, like grass, like animators hate doing like grass blades because they're always moving, only be tiny little entities. So when when I read about little details like that, it's like, oh yeah, I really appreciate, like, oh, like this takes a lot of work, and they're showing that along with all the other elements too. Right, that because they they do harp a lot on that, like, because when I think when I can't remember exactly, but like Sadie or Sam had created a game later in the book, and they focus on that exactly, like certain parts of the game were a lot more visually aesthetically pleasing for the user that was playing it because there was these tiny little details that people don't think of. See, I see my brain doesn't even go there. So that's really interesting. And to hear that from your perspective, like I'd imagine that I'd imagine it's fun for you to relate to even those minute details, like to be like, Oh, I know exactly what they're talking about. So that's a really cool perspective. Yeah. See, so I feel like but the book is we're so able to connect with it, even if we're going at it from different perspectives and I'm seeing obviously, you know, as you were seeing from, you know, Goodreads, and just in, in general, from what I've heard, people are, a lot of people are able to connect with this. Not everyone. I think there's a lot of people who this book didn't hit with, which I feel like, you know, that always happens. It's not like something will connect with everyone, but it seems like for a lot, a lot of people, majority audiences, this is really hitting them. And for me as well, I mean, you know, even just putting the gaming stuff aside, so as you were saying, the human relationships, and Sadie and Sam, and so, and and they're complicated characters. I feel like even like because I feel like there were a lot, a lot of times like they're not perfect. They're flawed. They're messy. And it's like there were a lot of times where it's like, oh, you know, you're endearing, but also you're really pissing me off right now. And just the ways that you could be so stubborn or like or, or proud or like just being a bit too you know ambitious. And it's just like, ah. You're frustrating me, but not in a yeah. bad way, in a good way. Like, you know, you're you're frustrating me in a way that, you know, you're human and I can connect with you still. Right. Yeah. And there was a lot of times, too, when I saw, I think there were instances throughout the book where Sam will be mad at Sadie. But I would think primarily it was Sadie that was mad at Sam for 
whatever reason or another. So like the book, not to get like too much spoilers, but like the book starts off where like they get into a tiff at a young age and that's why they lost contact for like a multiple yeah. of, of years. And then they, again, they get reconnected as I mentioned up top because they were both attending college in Boston. She was at MIT and he was at Harvard. But the, the book begins with a, with a conflict where like they're friends and they have this fallout. And then as the book continues, it almost feels like Sam is always on the defense and Sadie's always on the offense. And I found that that was just very relatable to like be with a person throughout the entirety of your life, through every season of life, someone who you've known since like you were very young and seeing these different iterations of them as they grow older and there's jealousy and there's, um, there's anger towards that person. There's feeling like you wish that, you know, I, I don't know. There's just a lot of things that were relatable in that book that I'm like, I totally understand being friends with someone for an extended period of time and seeing them throughout all walks of life and having pockets where you're just totally not in alignment with life. Yeah. It's just, it, yeah, it, it was all really fascinating. And, and, and again, even like the love, the way that the, the love between them is expressed. Again, without getting too deep into spoilers, I found that to be really fascinating as well. Again, like you were saying, not typical kind of love that you might see depicted in fiction. And also, even and, and also the uh, Sam, Sam's uh, disability, because he and, and how he deals with that, I feel like that was also well written in the book and kind of like it's pretty fleshed out. And but at the same time, it's not, I don't think it's written like as a crush for his character, it's not written in a way that feels like feels gross. It felt like a, it felt real, it felt tangible, and it, it's like. Yes, this is a tough thing. It's it's a tough thing in his life that he has to put up with, but it's also not his whole character. Like I feel like some characters, some characters with disability can be like that, can be written like that, and it's like, but it's just, it's just one part of his whole life. And I appreciate that as well. I love, I love that you that you mentioned that because yeah, like he has he has a, a disability on his foot. He got into like a car accident when he was younger, so he. I love that you said that because so like when I think for some reason I think of like the fault in our stars. Um, mm-hmm. like how they are not that it's necessarily disability but they both were struggling with like cancer and everything that's like the focal point of the story you have cancer I have cancer we bond because we both have cancer this was something where like I love that you said it's a it's a facet of his multiple faceted personality mm-hmm. and I love that Gabrielle Zevin took the time to explain like there were parts of Sam that you could empathize with because his foot was killing him all the time. He had to go through many doctor visits. Like you can totally empathize with that, but that wasn't the focus of the story. That was just a part of it. And I think that that's, it's really important. There's so many other parts of someone than just one part of someone. Yeah. Like you can't, like, I would say I have this, this podcast, but that's not the who I am entirely. Like yeah. I've gone through many things in my life that are difficult, but it doesn't mean that's who makes me Christy. Definitely. Definitely. It's- Oh, so, so, so many wonderful things about this book, and I feel like I—I I think I've—I think I think I've expressed my general thoughts and feelings enough. If, if you have, yeah, if you, yeah. Okay, okay, then we can get into our wind up scores then on the book, and this is a score that ranges from zero to hundred. So, Christy, what is your wind up score? Oh, oh my god, this was honestly a nearly perfect book. Like I rarely say this about books. But I felt I couldn't get enough of it. And sometimes, like, this is when I know I really like a book because typically at night I like to relax by, like, watching TV. I don't like to, like, just – sometimes I just don't like to read. But I found myself just wanting to go the night to come around so I could just curl up in bed with my book. I would go so far as to maybe give it, God, like a 97. 
<laughs> like I'm trapped. I'm like very like very like hesitant to even give it a hundred because I don't even know what a hundred type of book looks like. But it's like an A plus book for me. If I had to grade it, it would be an A plus. And I think like you mentioned, there's so many layers to it. It's about career. It's about success. It's about ex- seeing success for the first time as a young person coming into a lot of money. It's about moving locations, leaving what you know, that's so familiar to you, whether it's your family, geographically, you move. It's about friendships and love in those friendships. It's about potential romance. Like it has literally everything that I could want in a book. So I, yeah, a plus 97. How about you? Ooh, I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for 94 out of hundred. Just a few points lower than yours, but still, I love this book a lot. It was just, it, it, it's, it just spans the lives of these characters and just like, well, not the whole lives, but like, you know, a, a big, a big chunk of their lives. And it's just, it, it just, I'm just bonding with these characters. And even like the way the book, so the book does, does cut back and forth through time. It, it goes in this non-linear fashion through time. And I also liked how that unfolded the story. It didn't feel confusing. I was just able to roll along with it. And again, I really wish I read this last year. I think I would, I'm pretty sure I would have put this in my top 10. My top 10 Damn. books. But, what is your, not to derail us, but what was your top 10 book in 2022? I know we're still early in 2023, but now that we're not too far past 2022, what, what were your maybe top two books? Last year, my top two were my number two book was Here's to Us by Becky Alvitali and Adam Silvera. That's like a, a queer YA romance. And it was actually a sequel to the first book, What If It's Us? And I, that was really great. And then number one book was Bloodmarked by Tracy Dion, also a sequel to Legendborn. And that's like a YA, contemporary YA fantasy book. Where do you think this would have felt? Uh, Where do you think Tomorrow and Tomorrow would have felt between these two books? Not not the top two. The top two books will stay there. Those are like those are like really really good. It's like you know, and we're we're dealing with like really really good books here. So they're all competing against each other. But for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, I think I would probably I would have to put it either in the number three or the number four spot. One of those. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, That's still pretty good. Oh yeah. That's really good. A whole bunch of top notch books, you know. Yeah. 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 Just oof. <laughs> All right, so now we've given our wind-up scores for tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So now we get to go into spoiler territory, give the breakdown of the book. So listeners, if you have not read the book yet, then you should go pick it up. I highly recommend it, and I'm sure Christy would too. But if you have read it, or if you haven't, but you're okay with spoilers, then you can stay right here to keep the podcast playing. Jump on in, yeah. <gasps> All right, so... Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Oh, oh, I almost forgot to the trigger warnings. I should give a trigger warnings for this because it does, oh, the, the trigger warnings are, there is a gun violence, death, grief, homophobia, drug use, alcohol, a toxic slash borderline abusive relationship, sexual assault, minor inclusion of abortion, and minor inclusion of, uh, minor slash moderate inclusion of suicide. I feel like that's, I feel like, I feel like those trigger warnings cover yeah. this book. Yeah. Yeah, now that you were saying, yeah, there was a lot of heavy stuff. And obviously the first thing that came to mind was the, was the death and the gun violence. But why am I blinking? Where was the abortion? Uh, oh, 
what was it? Who was pregnant with? Yeah. Um, yes. I, I, I think so. Or like just considering yeah. considering yeah. it, it was like, oh yeah. oh yeah, yeah. It was like that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Not not, not sure why I'm blanking. Not sure why I'm forgetting yeah, information and stuff. But I I have it written here, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I do want to say the book is heavy, but it doesn't ever feel like it's weighing down on me. Like it doesn't leave me feeling depressed too. Yes, that's a that's a good claim. It weighs it out. There's a lot of thematic elements. Yeah, there's a lot of thematic elements that are dark, but it doesn't feel like a heavy book. Like I know everything we set up top is is dark, but I swear the book is so much more than that. Yes, definitely. That's a good yeah disclaimer. Hello, this is Arthur jumping in from the feature, and I'm here to give an update, just a quick update on the book tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow because Christy and I recorded this podcast back in March, so it was after that when we all then learned that there is a little interesting detail about the book where, okay, so there's, there's a game in the book, a fictional game is made up called Solution. Apparently, this game in the book is based off of a real-life game that's inspired by a board game chain that was invented by Brenda Romero, who is a video game designer. She's worked on the Wizardry series, Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Commander, and Gunman Taco Chuck. And when I looked at, at the game, both Solution and Chain, and compared them side by side, they really are quite similar. They share a lot of parallels. And the thing is, Gabrielle Devon did not properly credit Brenda Romero for her work. She has a whole acknowledgement section in the book to credit people who inspired her to, you know, to make up these games and to create this whole gaming world for, for Sam and Sadie. But she didn't credit uh, Romero. Which is really disappointing because there's even a whole theme in the book about how women who are game developers who are working in this industry don't get the credit that they deserve. Often they're overshadowed by the men who are working alongside them. The men get all the praise and the women are just left, you know, they're just shunted off to the side. So it's really ironic that this book that has, that deals with that whole theme ends up not properly crediting a woman video game designer who, who made up this board game that inspired Solution. And it is, really, it is really disappointing to hear about this. And it's also disappointing because Vendor Romero then tweeted, and I'm just reading off the tweet here, update. The Washington Post spoke with Knopf, publisher of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. They stand by Devin and are apparently unwilling to credit me, noting the only games listed and the author's acknowledgments are video games. Board games don't count? And yeah, that's that's weird. Like, yeah, board games don't count. That's really that's really strange. And 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 Vanna Romero, I'll include her tweets in the in the show notes, so you can check them out for yourself. But yeah, that is that is definitely an upsetting element of this whole thing. And I would still like say like you know the book is really good. It's top notch. But also just build this into your experience. Just keep this in mind. And be willing to process this book through a multifaceted lens, one that can appreciates how good it is and how enthralling it is, how, how much you can get it, you can get invested in it. But also acknowledge that hey, there is this whole shitty part about the author not properly crediting a game designer for her work for inspiring solution here. Oh, Alright, now, now let's get right into the book breakdown. Oh, Alright, so the so way to Sam and Sadie. Oh and also Sam and Sadie are both Jewish, so again that's another part of the Background, another facet, along with Sam having a Korean-American mom. So, when they first meet, and I, and I mean like when they first meet as kids, 
is when they're, when they're at the hospital, and there's this whole thing where Sadie, she's like, oh, you know, I can do this, I can do this program, do like community hours, and defend Sam because he hasn't, like, he's been lonely, he hasn't really been talking to anyone, but he talks to me. And it, it was like someone in the hospital was like, hey, you know, he talks to you, you know, so maybe you should be friends and you can do this for community service. And so they do that. But then when, uh, but, but then Sam eventually finds out, thanks to Sadie's sister, Alice. Alice tells, tells him. And then Sam gets all pissed off. This one was tough because it, we as readers knew Sadie's heart was in the right place yeah. when she was visiting Sam. It's like she was she was kind of more of a, a, ty- a very type A person where she liked to see the number. It's kind of like when you have a to-do list and you just want to write the most minute things, like make breakfast just so you can cross it off. That's the kind of person Sadie was. She just wanted to have a tally of how many hours she was visiting the hospital. And I don't think she meant malicious intent by it whatsoever. I think that it was a double whammy. I think she even described it as much like it's, it's great for me to be able to one, get the hours, but two, spend time with a guy that I really like to hang out mm-hmm. with and we get to play video games. So I think it was totally harmless, but I completely can empathize with Sam too when he found out, so what, I'm just some charity to you, I'm some community service to you and why he was upset. So I see both sides, but I, I, I do want to side with Sadie a bit more on this because her heart was in the right place. What are your thoughts? I I can connect with both of them because again, like as you're saying about Sadie wanting to, you know, ooh, like let's check off these hours, let's mark these down. I'm I'm achieving something, and it's like I can get I can get that, but and I think I forget who, but I think someone was it like I I think there's someone who says were who was like, hey, what if Sam finds out about this and then wanted to hurt him? I forget who said that, but I think someone said that to her, and yeah. She does, you know, she does consider that, but she keeps going with this. And then, and then Alice, because Alice is in the hospital, that's how they meet. It's that Sadie, Sam is in the hospital from the car accident. Oh, and then, and then that focus foot. And then Sadie is also in the hospital, not for herself, but her sister Alice, who is in, who is, yeah. who has cancer. And I like how the whole bit, how they lied. And they're like, oh, it's, it's dysentery. And that kind of becomes the, yeah. the whole bit. Yeah, it's like a whole joke between between them because of Oregon Trail. Yep, the Oregon Trail. Yeah. yeah, so so Addison so and then when Alice tells Sam, I'm like, Alice, you don't you don't know asshole. I know, I was it was a face palm moment. I'm like, really? And didn't she do it out of spite? Didn't she do it to piss Sadie off? Yeah, it, it was it was spiteful. It was definitely coming from a spiteful place. It's like little a little jerk, you know child. Yeah, because Sadie always said her and Alice kind of had a bit of like tension. Yeah. And Alice did it, yeah, to like kind of get back at Sadie. And it was like at the expense of Sam, though, not at the expense of Sadie. Like Sadie stays pretty. Yeah. Like Sam's the one that's her. I was pissed about that. Yeah. And then Sam, he's like, well, so what? Was our friendship nothing? Were you just using me this whole time? And again, like, you know, I can, I can feel that. And. But it's also like, and they even do they even do reflect on this later on, where it's like, hey Sam, weren't you being weren't you being kind of prideful back then, and kind of like, like like Cindy realized that if Sadie truly was doing this for community service, she wouldn't have been do, like being with you for this long because she was like she was being defending him for a while, and at, at the hospital and spending a lot of time with him, and it's like, was she really would she really have done that purely for the community service, or was she was it because? 
she just wanted to be friends with you. She just wanted to, you know, play games with you and connect with you. And so just... Right. No one invests that much of time if they don't like a person. Yeah. Genuinely. And it's just like, Sam, like, again, I can understand where you're coming from, but also it's like, yeah, you're, just, you're also just kind of being, you're being kind of stubborn here. They're both be really stubborn. And, and they're both very stubborn. And even, he even called us a C word over the phone. And it's like, Sam, you're like a little child. Oh, yeah, I forgot he called her the C word. And they, they were like, they were like in ele- like middle school, max. They were not even in high school. I don't and think. I think like, he, he was, was like, bad he, he, he didn't even, I don't think he, because I remember in the narration, it was like he didn't even realize, like he wasn't. He wasn't saying it like all that hatefully, but he just knew that he. I think he heard like his parents say it or something like that. We heard adults say it, and and be like, yeah. oh, so apparently it pisses off it pisses off women, or like it makes them go away when I when people when a man when a man says when a man says this, so I'll just say this to Sadie to make her go away. So like he wasn't even realizing like the full impact of that word just because he's he's like a child, but it's like Sam. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's like he—he's just like a mouthpiece or like an echo chamber of what he just hears. But it's like he doesn't understand the gravity of what he's saying is so egregiously bad. Yeah, it's just like oh my god. <sighs> it shook me. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. And then, and then also, do you want to say that that so so the whole thing about the hostel—that's not what the book actually starts off. Though, it was like the very first thing is when Sam and Sadie re- reunite in New York, and, and then she, that's like the very first scene, and she gives him a, a disc for her game so, solution that she made at college, and then at home, he plays it with his friend Max. He's a huge character, and uh, a big character, I know I love him, but you know, we'll get into him, but yeah, he, they play it together. There's a, a quote, Max says, your friend is sick as hell, and maybe a genius. How do you know him again? And I thought that quote was no- notable because I, it's like Max assuming that Sadie is a boy, and it's kind of like, oh, it's, I feel like it's a gaming culture, where it's like, oh, you're assuming that if someone is a gamer or creates games, just assume they're a boy or a man, because, of course, of how male-dominated it is. Yeah, it's, yeah and, the, and the, it's also, she talks a lot about it, because Sadie was uh, a student at MIT, mm-hmm. and MIT, I don't know the statistics today, but a couple years ago, I think it was like 70-30 from male-to-female ratio. So Sadie's had to kind of go up against these barriers throughout her entire young adult life. One, from just being into games, <laughs> two, creating games and being kind of the face, you know, later on when they become actually like legitimate gamers or software developers. And then three, just in her like education, she's outnumbered constantly. Yes. That's a good point to bring up how like it was just a assumption, which it, it was a harmless assumption oh, yeah. that he assumed it were a man. But like, it's like, yeah, Sadie was constantly outnumbered. Yeah, it's just, And that's another big theme of this book as well. It's like, again, it doesn't, overshadow other parts of the book and it, it is part of this whole this this whole collection of all of these themes and ideas about misogyny that exists in this uh, in this field and gaming not only for the gamers but also in the corporate culture as well and sadie so multiple times in this book where we're seeing her explicitly try to fight against that it was really interesting to, to go into this in fact when I was reading this book, it actually made me think a lot about Ready Player One, oddly enough, because, and, I, and, I don't, and I'm actually wondering, have you read Ready Player One or seen a, or seen a movie? No, I haven't, okay. but I'm interested to hear your take on like how you thought they were parallel. Okay, so I read the book, haven't seen a movie. I thought about that because this book feels very nostalgic, you know, as it's going back into, like, particular, I would say particularly for the 80s and 90s, but then also 2000s as well. It has a nostalgic feel, and it's, you know, diving into the world of gaming, 
Ready Player One is also a, a piece that is also very nostalgic. It's very much like, you know, hey, you know, look at these, you know, the, the pop culture Easter eggs from like, I would say particularly the, like the 80s. Ready Player One focuses on that, but also maybe other decades, well, but particularly the 80s. Also, lots of gaming. I mean, I mean, so much of it takes place in this virtual reality world. Now, the thing is, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow approaches this subject from, the, from a, a feminist standpoint, from acknowledging the misogyny that happens in this field. Uh, Ready Player One approaches it from a different uh, standpoint, from a standpoint that I think is very white, male, and cishet. And, and and I want to say, I don't, I, I, anyone listening to this, you know, I know a lot of people love Ready Player One. So, and, you know, I, I can accept that, you know. It's just that when I, when I first read the book a few years ago, I actually, like, I think it was like, maybe like four years ago, it was three years ago I read the book. I actually, like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it actually quite a bit. As time has gone on, and I saw back more in the book, as I have looked at the culture around us, as I've, read, as, I, as I've read more stuff and I've looked back on the book, I'm like, oh, wait, Ready Player One is actually not as good as I thought, once thought it was. I think it hasn't uh, aged very well in a world where there's such a thing called Gamergate. Uh, actually, do you know what Gamergate is? No, what is it? Gamergate was this whole incredibly toxic movement and the gaming culture of basically insults of, you know, gamer bros being like, women can't be gamers. And also, it was also incredibly uh, queerphobic as well. And it was just incredibly toxic, getting to the point of women getting death threats and just like a whole... You know, it's a game with a whole bunch of crap going on, and that was a whole, it's called Gamergate. And I feel like Ready Player One, I don't think Ready Player One intentionally plays into that, but I think that the kind of viewpoint it takes and the kind of, and the kind of people who can, who, who can appeal to, particularly white cis-head men, I think it can fall into unintentionally appealing to that part of gaming culture. I actually, I kind of, and in the future, I kind of feel like I should maybe do an episode on Ready Player One on this podcast, just because I have not read it since a few years ago, and I'd love to like dive back into it and then and then explore my thoughts on the podcast. But dive back into it. Yeah, it'd be interesting to get dive back into that. But that's my that's why I kept thinking of Ready Player One while reading this book. Interesting, yeah. Because now that you're when you're talking, I was like thinking of so many things, like with with Sadie. Well, like not to fast forward too much into the book, but like there is so much queerphobia and misogyny and the specific review I read on Goodreads and it kind of goes back to my earlier point about how she touches on so many things that are misplaced in our world today you know how women shouldn't be in this field and like I experience it too like not specifically like in accounting a lot of accountants are female actually but like there's certain parts in like finance where it's like a it's a it's a boys club right and it's very hard to kind of push against that barrier but what I think that Gabrielle Zevin does a really good job in doing is that she she does it in a way that's incredibly subtle and like it just weaves it into a perfectly a perfect narrative that you don't even realize is necessarily hearkening to like speaking about the patriarchy and speaking about misogyny and speaking about queerphobia like to be honest even like this is coming from my own like hetero point of view but like I, I didn't even really notice these topics I, of course I noticed them but I didn't realize how big of a 
perspective they had in the book until we're talking about it now. Because now mm. that you're saying it, I'm like, whoa, she had a lot of commentary on things, but she doesn't make it in your face where you're like, yeah. that's a book where that stands up for women's rights. That's a book that goes against the hetero cis white man perspective. That's a book that like changes the narrative with like the industry, yeah. but she does it all in a way that's very seamlessly woven into the story. Yeah, just smooth. Just, yeah, really, really appreciate it. And it's, it's yeah, well written in that aspect. Yes. And then we move on to the plot of Sadie's life where she's at MIT and she meets her and she meets her professor there, uh, Dov, Dov Mitra, who is, you know, ooh. so they meet and then they end up uh, forming a relationship. Uh, and and she uh, and he he's he married and they have an affair and she's a student of his and it's all really uh really creepy and yeah it's creepy because she's so young too yeah yeah and it's, it's and a grooming I, relationship and apparently like he has like he has a thing for this too it's like it's not just her it's like as we like go through the book it's like oh yeah he does this but it's like you know apparently with other students and it's unnerving and. And here's the thing, so, you know, jumping ahead, but it's like, it's not like they even, like, after they break up, it's not like they even, like, cut off contact with each other. Like, it's like they still keep in contact, you know, even, like, later on. And it's like, <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like Sadie. And, and I will say, like, yeah. there were a few points, there were a, a few points, just a few small moments where I was like, wait, this book isn't pushing me to approve of this relationship, is it? I don't think it is, but there was just a few small moments like that. Whereas I feel like, I almost feel like it's because of the time period that you're in, because of, like, again, this is earlier on, so this relationship wouldn't be viewed as uh, atrociously as it would be now. It was just happening earlier on, so they view it through a different societal lens, and I feel like that's the kind of period that's taking place, and that's why it's not as big of a deal to them. Like, it's just like, oh, a relationship between a college student and her professor. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Like, it, it, in the lens of today, it will be problematic. But back then, we weren't ha necessarily having these types of conversations. But I, it, it was quite disturbing, honestly, like, to see how manipulated she became and how he would continuously gaslight her by promising, oh, I'm going to divorce my wife. And, yeah. you know, interesting thing is his wife and family lived in Israel. And, of course, he's in, in, in Boston. So he was able to maintain this this duplicitous relationship for years all while taking advantage of her because he could and he kept promising her oh yeah I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out my marriage I want to be with you but then he wouldn't do it and there was some like sexual violence that was also occurring too that that the author touched on it yeah it was um, it was S&M that he that that you could feel you could feel Sadie was not uh fully consenting to it yes yeah. and like it they kind of briefly touched on like Sam seeing kind of these marks on her wrist and saying like why do you, who, what's happening? Is he hitting you? And she was like trying to brush it off. And like, I, I can kind of see someone of that age and kind of just still a little bit naive, just saying, it's fine. Like, no, it's fine. I, I, I wanted it. But it's like, she was, like you said, she was never verbally consenting. He kind of would just, he would quite literally strap her to the bed and leave her in the bedroom yeah. for like hours while she went and played video games outside. It was abusive. Yeah. And the thing is, it's like, it's like Dolph, it's Dolph is also a kind of character who is, like, he can be charismatic. Like you know, he does have the charismatic side, and even like in the in the beginning, when right when he was, right when he was introduced, like before the whole relationship started, I was kind of finding him to be amusing, admittedly, because of like how he was coming in and just kind of like, uh, being this kind of character who was just like 
hey, you know, I have these, like, specific rules for gaming, and it's like, and I'm going to try to teach you students how to try to, you know, make the most of your potential, and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm going to be blunt with my opinions. I'm going to tell you if every game is shitty or not, and a lot of your games are shitty. And I was, like, kind of, like, finding that to be somewhat amusing. But then, once we get into the relationship between him and Sadie, it's like, oh, no, you're a creep. And the, and the sad part is, too, yeah, like, sometimes he was kind of comedic relief. He was he was charismatic, like you said. But then other times it was, like, it, it was sad because she quite literally, be, she had to, she had to be around him because he had something. He was a very avid video gamer himself. He was a software developer. He was obviously much more experienced than they were. He had a lot more connections than they were due to his just age. He was older. He had more hookups and connections. So he connected them with a specific software to help them develop the game, the games that they wanted to develop. So in yes. that way, he had a, a literal financial control over her because he said, well, I'm the one that provided you the software for you to develop this sensational game. Uh, and you kind of owe me. But it was kind of an unspoken thing. He never outwardly said anything like that, but Sadie yeah. kind of knew, as did Sam. I've, like, I've spoken, we yeah. owe this guy something. Yeah, we owe this guy something because he gave us something that we needed. And Sam, Sadie, we come to find out later on, had a lot of animosity towards Sam because he was so hell-bent on them using his software rather than developing their own software, and Sadie was always trepidatious about doing so because she didn't want to be indebted to him. Yes. Yeah, and even at that point in the book, it's like, oh, you know, again, I can connect with you here. I can understand your feelings. And why do you have to act like this? It's like the ambition coming in. It's extremely ambitious. And it's like you can feel that coming in at that point. And I think that's what the author does a good, really good job about, right? Like, I think we've been saying throughout the entirety of this thing, we see both perspectives and it's not like Sadie was 100% wrong and Sam was 100% right. There's yeah. always like this middle ground between their 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 fights where it's like, I totally see how Sadie's scar, but I also see why Sam wanted to do this. Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of empathize. Yeah, and and then also, and there are and the games that and that are created in this book. I actually really do find games to be compelling as well. Even like the games, like uh, like so so does the so does the game solution, and that's the game that Sadie creates at MIT. And I was into that idea, even though it's like it's like. It, it, because the whole game is like, oh, you're working in this factory and you're making these parts. But then as you progress, you find out, oh, you're working for the Nazis. And you can, and, and the whole game is supposed to test, like, like are you going to follow, just blindly follow the orders to the point where you reach the game and you find out, oh, you, you just help the Nazis. Or when you pick up on the clues and be like, wait, I'm working for them. Maybe I should try to mess things up and try like, you know, not do a good job in order to hamper them. And, and those students got pissed yeah, off at that. There was, like, even one student in particular. She was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And, yeah, it's like, ooh. I take offense. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a risky idea. I do appreciate that. There's, like, a cleverness behind it. It's like, I can appreciate the idea behind it. It's like the Nuremberg trials. It's like, you think you're just, you're doing it because everyone else is doing it, and you're doing it blindly. And then after the fact, you realize it was a big fuck-up. Yeah. I think it's a game also hits at a, a point of the Nazis, where it's like, at that point in time, it was just like following orders. It wasn't seen as, this, like, for, by a lot of people, it wasn't seen as this huge, atrocious thing. It was just like, oh, I'm just following orders to, you know, just kill the Jewish people and just commit genocide and maintain a tyrannical regime. So it's, the game hits at that interesting point of obedience, you know? And that's one of the one of the games in this book, you know, which, sorry, 
so I appreciate that. And then Mox, I think we should also talk about Mox uh, Watanabe, who is in the book. And, you know, what do you think about him? You know, this, this lovable little character. What do you think? You know, I find him too lovable. So I was actually engaging, like, on Reddit to see what people thought of Marx. And people were saying, what's that one term they use for, like, kind of, like, supporting characters in video games that don't offer a lot? It's, like, NPD or Oh, something. NPC. NPC. Yeah, so they were saying, a lot of people on Reddit were saying, Mark was almost like an NPC. He was this blank slate of a perfect human that just didn't feel relatable. And they were... It, People didn't like Marx on the internet, and I found that to be quite shocking because I really liked him. I oh. loved how there he was for Sam. It almost felt like he was a father figure to Sam, besides like Bong Cha and Dong, like his grandparents. Mm. Like it felt like because you know both Sadie and Sam were from Los Angeles. They both went to school in Boston, so Sam didn't have family on the East Coast. So he almost relied on Marx to be his pseudo kind of family. And I loved how Marx always had Sam's best interest at heart, like pushing him to, you know, Sadie doesn't want to see me. I knock on Sadie's door. I think she, and then, you know, Marx is like, it sounds like she's depressed. You need to show up for her as her friend. He was a buffer between them. A buffer. He was a good buffer between them. And I, and I felt like he, I loved how he was always looking out for Sam in the way that was, you know, oh, you know, why don't we go to the doctor? That foot looks like it's really hurting you. I, I just felt like his heart was always in the right place. What, what were your thoughts? I loved him. I mean, I, I, I can get criticisms about him being, like, too like, too good, maybe. Too good of a human. You know, I, I can understand that. Maybe, like, too perfect. Actually, I just, I just made a grammatical error there. You, not, you can't, nothing can't be too perfect. If you, say, if you say something's perfect, it's just perfect. So, I can say that it's too <laughs> perfect. But, like, you know, and... and I can I can understand criticisms for that, but I still love him. I still I still love the role he played in his relationship. Again, the buffer and how he's just I feel like he's good to have because Sam and Sadie, again, I I know I love them too, but also they're so complicated. And then Marx is just here, just trying to smooth things over and just be like, come on, can you just stop being so stubborn and so proud? Can you just can you just talk to each other? And he's just trying yeah. to patch things up and he is just uh, you know, I just love him, and and I also found it really amusing how apparently, I guess, like, he's kind of like a player, but then he's also a player who apparently remains friends with his exes. Like, they all love him. Like, his exes all, all just love him. And to the point where even Zoe, there's the one girlfriend he has, she's an ex, and then they do get back together for a while. <laughs> and I love Zoe, too, by the way. I love Zoe as well. She was really, uh, really charming. Yeah, she was a good match for him. And he was just, they describe him in the book as just being super handsome. He's tall, good looking, nice. He's smart. Like he is like the perfect specimen of a human. And I understand the criticisms, but like you said, they needed, they needed Marx as a foil to the chaoticness, to the chaos that was Sadie and Sam, because they were constantly chaotic. And Marx is always there to be the voice of reason to be like, because ultimately they all started, they, they produced this software development company together and Marx always had to be the one that was also while all while looking out for the two of them, he was also looking out for the business. Yeah, I felt like he had everyone's best interest in mind. And he became CEO also of the company of Unfair Games, the studio they made. He became CEO, so yeah, he was like looking out for the business and just mm-hmm. yeah. and 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 Marx, yeah, just that's why you know what, what, what happens to Marx later on is just really really devastating. Which you know we'll get to that. Oh, I, I was shocked. Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> But, oh, and then also Zoe, I also love how she ends up becoming a, a composer, and she, and she even composes, like, the games that they make is, the, is her first project. 
and that ends up becoming your first credit. You know, I just, I love that because also so see I'm so I'm loving that she's a composer because I'm coming from the perspective of someone who loves scores. Like I, in general, scores like films and TV shows and video games. I love the scores. So you know, I can even name off like favorite favorite you know, composers of mine, like Hans Zimmer or you know Ludwig Göransson. Or, or, you know, or, I mean, John Williams. I mean, that's an obvious one, but, like, you know, composers like that, you know. Yeah, like, you can empathize. You can you can kind of see yourself maybe in, in like, her character a bit. And you have, like, the interest in... You, damn, you have, like, a lot of parallel interests. This is, like, a really cool... I'm, like, so glad I got to record with you about this specific book because it seems like it really resonated with you. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I, I was really enjoying it, you know. Or, 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 or Jamie Sewell, like, he's a, he's, a, he's a video game composer. Or Koji Kondo, or Nobuo Uematsu. So, yeah, you know, lots of composers. <gasps> yeah. Yeah, so... And then they also have the game. So, Ichigo, that's, like, the, the first game that they're creating together, Sam and Sadie. And that's what they're doing for, for Unfair Games. And I really love that whole creation process. And, but then that's also the game where they need, uh, they need uh, the Ulysses engine from Dolph's game because he, he, he had his game, the Dead Sea, and then they, they're like, oh, they need the engine from that game because to, to render the water. And that's why I was pointing out the water earlier. It was in this game Ishigo. And yeah. which again, you know, I, I appreciate the detail for that, for that process. Not being a gamer, I actually also appreciated the development of it. Even, I didn't think I would, but she made it very compelling. Well, I think, I think there's something... There's a way that it's written that I almost feel like you can you can you can connect with it just from the pure process of creation in some form of artistic creation of just trying to develop any sort of like what you know whether it's any art like a painting or a movie or a TV show or a book it just generally falls into this whole process of trying to work out the kinks and trying to figure out what works of collaborating with other people and trying to fit your ambitions together I think that's where it, you know, you can connect yeah. with it. And, right, and then and then also this it's a game that also uh, inspires the cover of the book as well because the cover like even when a well Sadie got inspiration for the art design from the Great Wave at Kanagawa, and that's what I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Right oh my god. I know, and I'm such an idiot. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover right it's now. Really, I know. I love it too. I love I love how the cover is on there. Also, I. I also I really love the look of the cover, and almost when I first when I first heard about this book last year, I was like, oh wait, it's just a sci-fi book. Because when I saw it, I was like, it has a bit of a sci-fi look to it. Even with like even with the font, it, the font yeah. looks almost sci-fi-ish. You're such a good point. You're right. I'm looking at the cover. It looks kind of like cartoonish, yeah. and the and like the yeah the font is like in multiple colors from from like a shade of pink all the way to like blue in this like rainbow scheme it does look very sci-fi which is like i mean they say not just judge a book by its cover but i don't know if i would pick this book up if i saw this cover it's a, it's a, i'm not a sci-fi girl it, you know what i mean yeah it's it, it's a it's a really it's a really eye-catching cover yeah definitely it is yes. good good observation thank you thank you <gasps> uh oh i also i also like how uh, sam's grandparents dong and bong how they had the restaurant that used uh, Donkey Kong, the video game character, to promote itself because of like they were basing the name off of Donkey Kong, and then they're like, "Oh, we're gonna use some marketing based off names to sound funny to white people." <laughs> and I, yeah, I thought that was just you know a pizza shop. Yeah. yeah, amusing. They're like two Asian people with a pizza shop, right? Yep. It was just yeah. it was amusing. 
It was. Yes. And, and the, 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 what's it called? Arcade games, too. Yep. <laughs> and it's amusing. Also, of course, Donkey Kong. Of course, it also brings it back to video games, of course, you know, classic video games. There's an element where I do wonder if maybe, I, I would say maybe the book could have spent a bit more on this, where there's like, there's like this, it, it gets brought up in like a, an interview with, uh, with Sam, where he gets defensive when he's asked about Japanese appropriation and Ichigo because he's 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 Korean, and so and and so the book does spend a bit of time on that. I do feel like maybe could have spent a bit more time on that, just because I feel like I feel like other stuff got fleshed out more. You know, not a huge complaint, but like just a, just a tiny little nitpick. If I have a nitpick about you know this, this otherwise fantastic book, what did he say? What, what what was his response when they asked about the appropriation? Wasn't he kind of like, well, I think we should all share cultures. It was it was, I don't remember the exact quote, but I think it was something along that lines. And I feel yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like I feel like it would you know Sam is again very proud. So I feel like it, it would be typical of him to try to be defensive like that. And this uh, I think and this interview which took place in 2017, and I feel like he's getting defensive over this game they made back in like back into to the 90s. Where obviously it would be much easier to get away with something like that. Whereas, like, if it was made now, then it's like, well, it's kind of it's more questionable. Oh, I because then it also goes into this whole into this whole thing of can you tell stories about people other than your own? Like, can, for example, can a cishet person write a book about a, with a queer protagonist? You know, that's 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 a, that's a, a huge that, that's like a huge discussion that's happening right now. I mean, particularly in the book community. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there are facets to it. There are different facets to it. Right, right. Yeah, and he, I, I, there were so many things I think that Sam did throughout the video games that like, one in the later video games, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but he made like an androgynous character. Like it was unconfirmed whether or not it was a boy or a girl. Like he does little tiny things that try and open people's eyes that he doesn't see as problematic, but other people take issue with it, which kind of comes with like the queer phobia and all that. Well, see, so yeah, so it's interesting. It's interesting that you bring that up because he, he does that. But then when they bring the game over to the to the, the big studio, you know, that's like, oh, you know, to, to Opus, 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 so it's a company that's like, hey, you know, we're, we're big. We can give you tons of money. But we want to make some changes here, and one of the changes is say, Opus wants Ichigo to be a boy to appeal yeah. to male audiences, and yeah. and that's one of the situations where Sadie finds herself fighting against the misogyny because she feels like they're not even listening to her; they're just listening to Sam, and they just see her as being like this small part of the equation. And she wants fighting for the other for the other company, Salador, because. Because they're like different deals. Like Salador didn't didn't require them to make a sequel, and she felt like it was more of a chemistry fit. But Sam was like, I don't like. Why did it go to them? Opus is offering so much more money, and they're also like, Hey, we want a sequel to this game, you know. And yeah, and then I'm just like Sam, and it's like Sam is coming from the privileged, you know, male standpoint. (sighs) Yeah, and I think well, it was really interesting because I think. Sam had a really good reason for wanting to go to Opus, as horrible as that deal sounded, because he was even telling Sadie, you have money to rely on. You come from like a very privileged background. You're from Beverly Hills. You come from money. I don't come from anything. For me, 
money is a number one priority. So like, yeah. yes, I want to go with Opus because of the money alone. And like, I think even Sadie and him were discussing like not wanting to do an Ichigo part two yeah. because they're like, why ruin the magic that is what this video game already is? And I think they ultimately did it and ended up being a flaw. So like what they were thinking actually ended up coming true. But regardless, they were coming at it from two very different perspectives, knowing that Sam doesn't come from money and he needed the money versus Sadie did not. But exactly like you said, Sadie's a lot of grief that Sadie had with him was that she's like, why is it that everyone thinks that I don't, I didn't like yeah. Chico just because you're the guy. People assume that I'm just like some random chick. Yeah, see, 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 so when you bring out that Sam and his perspective about like, yeah, I need the money. It, it, I, I can see that as well because he, his, because again, it was his, his leg and to all the bills he had to pay for like taking care of it, that was gobbling up money. So, you know, he didn't need the money for that, the funds. So I was like, uh, <laughs> see, that's like you get it, but it sucks because you're like, yeah, oh, don't go with that. It's it, it's complex, you know, it's complex, and yeah, it is. And 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 then also, I do want to point out, there was a point where Sam, when uh, Sam and Sadie were programming uh, Ichigo nonstop, just like until like sort of, uh, for for Sam's fingers, he he was programming until his fingers bled, and it says here his fingertips grew so dry and blistered that he had to put band-aids on them to stop blood from getting on his keyboard. But when the band-aids slowed down his typing, he removed them. He was accustomed to discomforts far greater, and that reminded me so much of Whiplash, when Andrew is just like drumming away at the and he's just drumming away so hard and so fast that he ends up getting blisters on his fingers and he's bleeding like all over the drums. Yeah. It was like, oh my God. Yeah, it showed a, it showed a dedication. Like he was, and like, it made me sad too because it's like your threshold for pain is so high that you don't give a shit when your hands are bleeding. Because he's so used to his, to his leg. He's, 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 it, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just was like, he was used to not sleeping. He was used to working to the bone because he's all he's experienced is pain. That's his entire existence yes. is be, being in pain. <sighs> and... Oh, also the the magic eye. We we haven't mentioned the magic eye yet. That's a whole bit in this book because yeah. b- because Sadie doesn't see ha, ha, doesn't see the magic eye, and it's like good, and but Sam can, and it's a whole bit in this book. I I've never I've never like magic eye wasn't a big part of my childhood, so I, this was a part where I wasn't able to personally connect with it. But still, it was like something I, I generally know about. What about you? Is magic eye a thing for you? What, what it. Because, like, that was, like, a billboard, right? I'm going to look this up. Yeah, so it, it was, like, this this book series where it was, like, oh, we look at this 2D, like, 2D pattern. And if you look at it in a certain way, you can see a three-dimensional pattern in this 2D yes. picture. And Sadie wasn't able to see the, uh, the pattern for a while, but Sam was. And then eventually, I think, uh, and, and eventually Sadie is able to see the pattern, but... What do you think the deeper meaning to that is about? Is that just like them being able, them seeing from different perspectives all the time? I think I think it has to do with that. Just like yeah, it's different perspectives. Like Sam is able to see things in a certain way. It takes maybe Sadie a bit longer to see it, but she's able to do it eventually. And yeah, so, so it's a way they perceive the world. And so I, I enjoyed that little facet right. of the relationship. Even like even in, even when they first meet, when they first reunite in New York. In that, in that very first chapter, yeah. that, that magic eye thing is introduced right away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's totally just a commentary on their different perspectives. And, like, throughout the entirety of their lives, they seem, they love each other, but they always have different perspectives on the direction of, whether it's the company, their friendship, yeah. romance, they always looked at it differently. Yes. 
and and then all, and then also I feel like we should also uh m- mention about uh Sam's Sam's mom and how it's like we into the point in the book I think kind of like in the middle of it somewhere in the middle of the world it's like we do get a bit of a peek at her life and when she like when she auditions to be on that game show and she's trying to be an actor and she's struggling and she's on the the game show and there's that gross host who who's who's actually assaults her yeah it's like ugh. Yeah, and like they 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 witnessed some traumatic stuff when they were just walking in New York City, and some woman killed herself and splat her body right in front of them. And and her name is Anna Lee, like the mom. And, and so Anna that, Lee, yeah. And so that's why it, it, it and that sticks with Sam too. And he's like, and, and even just like the connection between the name, even 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 if it's just like the name being common, and the and the both Asian, it's like it still sticks with him. And that was like yeah. <laughs> again. It doesn't overwhelm the book. The the tragedy of this, even like just a specific uh, it's a suicide, or later on when when Anna when Sam's mom dies in the car accident, and that's the same car accident where Sam got injured. It's like it's tragic, but doesn't overwhelm the book. But still, tragic. Like it hits you. Right. There's a lot of death. There's a lot of death in this book, but it's again like I wouldn't say this is a book about death either because a lot of people are dying in this book, and you're it's but each death has like a specific meaning to the characters. Like I think the death of his mother really modified the way he looked at the world, like how he felt like time is very precious. In a blink of an eye, your entire life could change. He lost his mom and he was disabled due to this car accident. Yeah. So many things can just happen so quickly. Yeah, and, and I mean, it even touches on Anna facing against like casual, casual racism as well, and just being like, "Oh, you know, you're an Asian woman, so you know you can just be on the game show for appearances." And and uh, and, and and even like even like the previous spokesmodel on that show was like was also was also Asian, and even like her name was Anne, mm-hmm. and she had died in a car on a car crash with her boyfriend, and another car, a different car crash. Yeah. Oh my god, I forgot about that. The other the other the other hostess. Yep. Yeah, it's just like the show. Yep. It's like and also by the way, the show is called Press That Button. And the host is Shift yeah. Shift Willingham. Yeah, yeah. And on top of the two Annalise, we actually had another Annalise in the form of Marx's mom, because Erin, A E R A N, was a Korean name, but when she was in the US, everyone would call her Anna. And even like uh, Watanabe was her husband's name, but she's Anna Lee, and and then I had the whole bit about how Marx was like, you know, when you figured out Sam's dead mother's name, we decided that that was fate, and from that day forward, Sam would be a brother. A name is destiny, if you think it is. That's what it said in the in the narration. Yeah. In this chapter, and so when the end, you know, unfair game, Sam, Sadie, and Marx, I like how they're fighting. All, all, they, they all just think they all think they're the ones who created the name. Unfair games, and they all, and they're like you know, you have a little dispute over that. But then they also fight over the prospect of making a third Ichigo game, which Sadie is not for. And that's after the sequel came out, and it's like a third one. It's like, and after the second one had failed, yeah, and they were like, why do we want to do a? I felt like a lot of the book too, as the company gained so much success. It felt like there was always this push and pull between who's going, who is responsible for taking credit for this. Mm-hmm. And I think they were both super genius in 
their own respective ways. And I think they each kind of had their own strengths, but it was incredibly difficult for Sadie to see Sam go on these press tours for unfair games, mm-hmm. moving city after city. And she's like, you're the face of this company when I'm the one behind the scenes creating the games and no one thinks I'm capable yeah. of it. Like there was always this push and pull between the dynamic of like, we both founded this company, but why are you getting all the credit? Yeah, and, it's a constant struggle. Yeah, and and again, like sort of the sexism she's confronting in this industry, and then eventually she does break up with Dov. At that point, they end, she ends up moving to LA with Sam, Marks, and Zoe. And this whole thing, I was like, it was kind of funny how this whole thing happened, and she was moving there, and even in the hospital, like Sam is aware of everyone moving to LA specifically for him. He's like, I know that, but for him, for coming up with other reasons for it. And that's when Mark, you know, he's trying to work this all out. And even Zoe, Zoe was also pushing Mark as well to do that, to, to, to come up with reasons for this. And just like tell Sadie that Sadie needs yeah, to go to California, tell Sam that Sadie needs to go to find yeah. a way to break out with Dog. Yeah, like they were, and Sam wasn't stupid, but like he yeah. was like, I know what they're doing. I know that they're trying to tell me something differently than what's actually happening. But he kind of, Sam almost like for, he kind of just allowed himself to play the part to make it seem like he was doing Sadie a favor by moving to LA mm-hmm. to get her away from Dog, when in fact he knew in the in his heart of hearts that there was better medical care in Los Angeles, closer to his family, it would make the most sense for them to start unfair games in Venice, not Boston. Yeah. And I also like the bit when when it says that when it says Zoe joked, or maybe it wasn't a joke, that her first sexual experience had been with her cello. <laughs> so had a point that I was. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we kind of mentioned this before, but Sadie realizes from from Dot's inscription on her Dead Sea disc that Sam probably knew about the relationship between them. So it's like, why would you push me towards him? You know, <sighs> yeah, What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that there was some selfishness on Sam's part to push I, her towards Dot for Ulysses? I I think, yeah, I feel like there is some selfishness on his part if he did know about it, which I kind of feel like I think he did. But yeah, like because they even dispute that. Like, wait, did he truly know about it? I feel like he did, and I think that yeah, there was some selfishness in this plot, and it's just like again, I think just being too like focused on his goals of like I want to be successful, and I, I you know I and I need the money also to pay to pay for the bills mm-hmm. for the hospital bills and like my 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 leg, and it's just like ah. <sighs> Yeah, I I wrestle with that too myself because I was like, okay, I think he did know to a degree that she was that she was being kind of abused by this guy, but I think he was so one track minded and making sure they were gonna make it big mm-hmm. that he was kind of willing to do whatever it took. So I kind of understand Sadie's frustration with yeah. Sam and why she was so angry about that when she found out that he in fact knew about dog. Yeah, and then now that they've moved, they're uh, uh, they're working on a, a a new game, both sides. And, and and so both sides, so it has like two different worlds, and ha- and so there's like the real world, and then there's a the fantasy world, and the real the real world, Maple Town, that side Sam is working on, and that's and it's really personal to him because he's using his illness as a way to connect with the main character, uh, Alice Ma, and then Sadie for her part connects Alice in the game with her real life sister Alice, so working on that game. Also, Sam is an NPC now because he had. He he was he had the whole sepsis thing going on with his leg and it was like rods like, like you know in his leg and getting infected he had to have his foot amputated and now he's getting his phantom pain 
And so that was excruciating. Oh, I love phantom pain. That that was something I had never realized was a, was a thing. But yeah, that that was crazy. I was like, I didn't realize that like you would still, even though the thing that the the uh, part of your body that's been causing you pain that's no longer there, you could still. It's just, the brain is so powerful, right? Like the brain is just so much power more powerful than like a physical appendage oh, yeah. on our bodies. That was wild for me to read about. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, it, think, it thinks the body part is still there, but it isn't, and it has, like, the neurons built up for it, so it's just, it's, it's all really confusing for the brain to process, and that's why it comes out in such a painful form. Right, right, he would wake up and he would be throwing up, because he would be yes. so sick from the pain yes. that wasn't real. Yes. And it's just like, again, I feel like the disability rappers actually handled really well here, you know, in that sense. Yeah. And then... Agreed. And then, and then both sides, both sides end up getting mixed to bad views, and and they're like, and they're trying to figure out like what happened. Is it because Sadie was the one promoting it, not Sam? And the reviews are praising it. They're praising the technical aspects, but they're saying it, but they're also saying it's too clever or like too maudlin. One of you said it felt schizophrenic, like two people working on two completely different sides of the game, yeah. which. It pretty much was. It was like it was. It was Sam working on Maple World, and then Sadie working on the on the other side of of the game of Mario Landing. Yeah, well, because they weren't they weren't they weren't their friendship was really bad at that time. Yeah. So they're they're, they're working separately. It, it, it makes sense. They're working separately, so they weren't even talking with one another. So it makes sense why the game was quote unquote schizophrenic. Yeah, and because it was. <laughs> and they even they even have a huge argument about it about Sadie and Sam like you know getting credit Sam knowing about Sadie and Dolph Sadie secretly getting the abortion by herself okay so that's yeah so that's what happened yeah Sadie got the abortion by herself and so that's part of the argument yeah that that was that was that was tough yes that was very tough yes I hate when they're fighting <laughs> I know it's like no I don't want to be fighting I love them together as friends yes and. And then they also have a another game. It's called Love Doppelgangers at first. And one of the people at the company, Simon, he wants to name it Love Doppelgangers. But then I love how Sam is like, no kids know about that word. They were just dragged away. No one knows what Doppelgangers is. And so Marx comes up with Counterpart High because there's like a, a you know, like. Yeah, the, Counterpart High. He had, he had like a whole chess tournament backstory that led up to the name. And, but I, I, I love how they came up with other names too, like Love Strangers. Love Stranger High School, Wormhole Love Story, and Love Tunnel as alternate names. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. They, they, they were shooting so many things at the wall to see what, what would stick. <laughs> Didn't they say that they were like, they spent like literally all night just whiteboarding different names <laughs> and nothing, no one could come up with the right name? Like, yeah. Literally like nine hours in a room with the whiteboard. Yeah. I can, I can sympathize to that. So to kind of come up with the names, it's like, oh my God. Like, I hate coming up with the names for stuff. Like, even if, like, two sounds critic, I'm surprised that popped in my head when I came up with that name. It's just like, uh, you know. I, I'm typically not good at coming up with names, but two sounds critic was just, like, one of those rare moments where it's like, oh, simple, you know. No, I love I love that name. Your name is really clever. <laughs> Thank it's you. really clever. Thank you. <gasps> yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, but, and then also, I love how Simon, so Simon and Ant, so they're also two of the, like, the side characters in the book. And I also love, like, their relationship, you know, jumping together. Love them. And and the in the in the company, a healthy queer relationship. Definitely, definitely. And there's even like a whole thing about them wanting to get married, and then they they do get married, but then it ends up getting revoked the marriage license. And it reminds you, like when I read about that, it's like 
oh, it reminds you what what period it takes place in. You know, back in I think I, I think it's yeah, too early. It's in the two thousands at this point. I think earlier mid two thousands because Counterpart High came out in two thousand one. So. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I remember vividly that the scene where they're in San Francisco outside Civic Center and it's raining, and they want to get their license before like the the government takes away their right to marry. Yeah. So everyone, all these like queer queer couples are in line trying to get their marriage license. Yeah. It just felt so real. Like that's the one purest relationship that this book has. Yeah. It's very sweet to watch, and they're so supportive of one another and of the company. Yeah, definitely, and. <sighs> And then, and then also, and then for Mox and Zoe getting back to them, they end up breaking up because she goes off to do like the safer fellowship to study opera in Italy, and I guess they've been having squabbles, and I guess it was like because Mox got comfortable in the relationship, and mm-hmm. it was just like as he often does. Yeah, and and and, and you know, I, I was I was upset. You know, I was upset. I was hoping they would stay together because. You know, when they, you know, again, they've been together before. They broke up, but they were the main friends, and then they got back together, and I love seeing seeing yeah. seeing them together. Yeah. So I, I know I'm fast forwarding a bit, but like, what were your thoughts when him and um, Sadie got together? So at that point, I was like, okay, like I could I I could kind of see it happening because Max had expressed interest in her before, like all the way back at the beginning, yeah. when he was like, hey, you know, maybe I can ask her out on a date, and he asked Sam that. And I was like, okay, I, 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 I can see it happening. Like, you know, I feel like, again, because Mark is like, you know, such a person he is. Like, he's always been that buffer. And I feel like he can kind of mesh, he can mess with Sadie and, you know, take her, take her, you know, he, he can take her stubbornness. You know, he can take both her stubbornness. And he can, you know, he can be with, yeah. he can be with Sadie and just mess with her and just be like a, you know, like almost like a, a shoulder for her to rest on. You know, because I feel like as much as I you know, I love Sam and Sadie together as like this, as a relationship that is pretty much like, see, even like Sam and Sadie. So like, there are different points where like where it's like, oh, maybe they could be romantically in love with each other. I feel like particularly for Sam's part, but they never get to that point. It is like platonic, ostensibly, but it almost like goes deeper than just plain like platonic or romantic love. It almost goes deeper than that. Like this deep, deep bond that'll make leave them connected forever, no matter like how long they're separated. I always wonder, like, because Sadie even says in the book, like she, someone, I think someone might have asked her about like whether you ever considered Sam. She's like, of course I have. But like yeah. it never seems like she had a romantic interest in him. But it seems like Sam was always just a little bit further along a little bit. his feelings romantically. Than she were than she was, but part of me is like is so naive. But I kind of wish they ended up together, and I loved Mark. Like that's not taking away from the love that Sadie and Mark had for one another. But I was, I was sad that that never ended up happening. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can get, I can definitely get that. There was a part of me that was rooting for them to be together, but you know, at the same time, I'm honestly okay with how this turned out. And I wanted to say earlier that as much as I love Sam and Sadie together, it's not like Sadie can always depend on Sam to be. The kind of shoulder she can rest on, just because they can, they can't fight. You know, they guys are clashing. They got these personalities that really rub up, rub up against each other. So that's how you feel like Mark is more of a shoulder there. You know, they don't rub up against each other in the same way. That's a good point. Like I think that they're so stubborn together. Like we mentioned up top, there's no way that could sustain a good relationship. And it's, and because they're like also business partners too. I guess Mark's and her were as well, but 
Sam and her were like the founders. Yeah. It just felt like it would have been too close for comfort, maybe. Yes. So through a surreal dream that Mark's experiences, he has the idea to turn Maple World into an online RPG. So they come up with this whole reboot, and it happens soon after 9-11, rebooting Maple World, and it ends up progressing to the, po- to the point where they have like some marriage licenses in the game. It's in this early period, we know with a whole trip to San Francisco, it's also connected to that, and with, with Ant and Simon. And Sam ends up getting ordained as a minister in the real world, and then he ends up doing like some marriages in Maple World. Yeah. Because, because like he has this character, Mayor Major, that's like his stand-in, it's like, it's like his stand-in in the game. So then Mayor Major can do like marriage ceremonies for people in the game. So basically like queer players who can't get married in the real world, in the physical world, can do it in the game. Yeah, I love that. And like really quickly, this is kind of off topic, but like not off topic, but like the author mentions that Sam had like homosexual relationships with other guys. But yeah. like she she said it one time yeah. in the book and I don't people on the Reddit were like, I wish she might have elaborated on that a bit. Like I think we're to assume that Sam is bisexual. But I just we just didn't really know much about Sam's life other than that one girl that he kept in touch with from high school. Yeah, I mean I honestly got the sense that maybe Sam wasn't even I almost wondered if Sam could have been either Aero or maybe or maybe Ace, because I, I certainly don't think he was honestly all that interested in sex. Definitely, like because even like when he lost his virginity, uh, to to that to that girl, he wasn't really all that interested. Yeah, it's almost like he was asexual or something. Ace, I would say Ace. I feel like maybe maybe not Aero, because I feel like he definitely could feel romantic love. I feel like romantic love for Sadie, especially, but maybe more Ace definitely. Yeah. And Sam, he'd even gotten envious over. Marx and Sadie being together. He felt like he he felt like he should be the one who's with her, not Marx. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just like that was something that I was like I saw in the book. I was like, oh yeah, I realized I never touched on that, but some people on Reddit were like, wait, why didn't she say more about his experience with a man? But like it was I mean, yeah, it was like a blip on the radar. Yeah, so I I didn't feel like like I was okay with that. Like I didn't need necessarily need more detail on that. I just felt like that was like a small part of, of Sam's life. And just like again, like one of the smaller True. elements of his, one of the many elements right. of his life, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. It was just something that caught my eye. I was like, huh. Yeah. I wonder, like, but yeah, it's kind of irrelevant to the story. It was just more of like, oh wow, that was an interesting thing. Yes. Now, following this whole new addition uh, to Maple World, they have what was the marriage is happening. Uh, so a lot of people, specifically fifty thousand people, who canceled their accounts, an additional two hundred thousand uh, joined. Of course, there's hate mail, there's death threats, a bomb threats, and this ends up spurring Sam on into to partake in political activism, which of course you know also it uh, attracts more more of the hate, and even like uh, they're like even like things like, like things like how we like keep bans like user created gun stores and the sale of weapons, or supporting like conservationism and the building of an Islamic cultural center by a, a group of Muslim Maple Townies. Back then, it was it, it seemed, seemed so progressive, but like, I guess it was progressive back then because we're talking mid two thousand. Back then, back in the two thousands, yes, this would have been really progressive, and unfortunately, yeah, and it riled people up. Oh yeah, it riled people up enough to, to the point where there ends up uh, being a shooting at Unfair Games. So now we come we come up to to this point, and by the way, oh, so, this was the climax. 
of the story. I, I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, this. also, by the way, at this point, we also realized Sadie is pregnant with Marx's baby. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's right at this oh, point, and then we're like, oh, wait, so there are two people, there's a, there are two people who arrive at Unfair Games to hold it hostage. And I remember coming up to this point, I was like, people are holding hostage? Is Marx dead? He texts back T-O-H, Tamer of Horses. And it was like that was like a whole thing about a whole bit in the book about him being like a tamer of horses, almost like and yes. and, he, and 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 I remember Sam being kind of mean to him about that, like call, calling him that kind of like in a derogatory way, like oh you're just a tamer of horses, not anything special. Yeah, I hated when he said that to him. It's like Marx has only looked out for Sam's best interest, and Sam just came out for like the jugular. <sighs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> Sam can definitely be yeah, like be a blunt like that. Just really going for, yeah, going for the dabs. Yeah, really can. Yeah. But, yeah, so, and it, it happens in part seven. When, when we're in part seven, that's when we go, when we go into Marx's perspective. Oh. What do you think about this? Because I really found this to be really interesting how we go into his perspective and how there's almost, and this is a second person POV. So it almost gives like a sense of disassociation yeah. that feels fitting for him as he's recording what happened at Unfair Games and realizing he's now in a coma in the hospital. Like, yes! Oh my god, I forgot. Oh my god, the, the, the coma. Oh, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Okay. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole thing at the Unfair Games was that he was, at the, he was meeting with a couple, Adam and Charlotte Woods, who were pitching our infinite days, this post apocalyptic game with desert zombies, and an amnesic mom who was, who was relying on a six year old daughter to guide her around. And Marx was really interested in this game. He was like, he was, he, he was going to be like, okay, I, I, can, I can support this. You know, I can try to see, you know, see if, we can, if we can get this made. But then he ends up having to deal with the two assailants who come to the studio, holding everyone hostage, and and the employees are scrambling. They're like, "Hey, we got to go up to the roof." Yeah. Oh, also, last year Marx proposed to Sadie, by the way, but she, we we learned this, but she's not up for the antiquated institution of marriage. She, she says. Of course, Sadie doesn't yeah, want to get married. Of like, course, that just doesn't surprise me at all. Yes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and you, and you find out that one of the two people it was. One of the two people, it was, it was Red. Or, like, the one who, who wore the red bandana and he's nicknamed Red, he's doing this, he's, he's heading this, and he's got his friend along with him because his wife left him because she had married a woman in the game and then she ended up leaving him. So he blamed the game for, for his wife leaving him, and that's why he's now committing to shooting. He's holding everyone hostage. And... Um, like, when... When this happened, I was so scared because they were – Gabrielle Zevin was so descriptive about how it went down. Like, yeah. first, these two assailants come into the lobby. They say, we want to see Mazer. And uh, the lobby that uh, the poor lobby guy called up to, like, the ninth floor was like, uh, some guys are down here. And, of course, Mazer was out of town, like, promoting the new game. And then uh, yeah. uh, Marx was like – Okay, well, all I, I felt badly because I couldn't leave the lobby guy downstairs with these gun gunmen. Yeah. So of course, Marx takes one for the team, offers him up for tribute, instructs everyone to go upstairs to the roof, and then they shoot him because they can't find Mazer. And and like I didn't expect him to die. And the fact that we saw it, like you said, to the, from the second POV, second person POV, when he's in the coma and he can view and hear everything that's going on around him, but cannot respond. When he was like, "All right, I know I'm gonna die. Like this is it." it was horrible. It was horrible. it was devastating, and also also so the back bandana guy got a shot off at Ant too. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god! But did Ant survive? Ant survived. Ant survived. 
but yeah, Marx was the only casualty, right? Marx is the only casualty. It was, yeah. and 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 then and then Red also shot himself. So that's where the suicide trigger warning comes in. But yeah, you can and you can feel like this is where the toxic, like you know, incel attitude comes in, and it was yes. you know Red committing this shooting, and then he, and then his friend is coming along with him. But even like his friend, his friend even was like, "Wait, we're not gonna." I I don't like his friend was like, "Wait, yes. we can't shoot anyone." And then he was devastated when when the shooting actually happened. Because I feel like yeah, because he's like this wasn't part of the plan. Yeah, we didn't. We're, we weren't actually gonna go through with it. Yeah, I think his friend was just, just like coming out, coming along to support him. But yeah, we'll we, we hold people hostage, but we won't actually kill anyone. Yeah, he completely like went off. Yeah, oh my god, that that's the other suicide. There's two suicides. It's Anna Lee. Yeah. And Red. Yeah. It's like oh, oh my god. It's just heavy. And also, like, it feels realistic, unfortunately. Like, yeah, it would. It, it could. That sort of thing could easily happen. Yeah. And it was, yeah. well, and, when, and then when Marx, as time goes along, and then when, when, when Marx in the coma can hear people saying like, oh, he's not going to make it, even though they were, they were like, he could make it at first, but then no, he's not going to make it. And it's like, oh my God, we, we're going to lose him. And then he finally like, no, I, I remember, yeah. <sighs> no. And he goes off to the afterlife and, and even like, and I and I do like how as he dies, there's a flashback from spending a day with his friends at the farm, and and like there's a peace tree, you know, and like there's this high school classmate of his who knew someone who adopted a peace tree there, and they were enjoying its sweet and fluffy peaches. Yeah, oh, well, I'm gonna cry. And, That's so sad. And even like, and even like, in the end, when uh, at the end of this POV, when it says you're in the strawberry field, you are dead. A prompt comes up on the screen. Start game from the beginning? Yes, you think. Why not? If you play again, you might win. And I almost wondered if that was meant to symbolize resurrection. Like, you know, mm-hmm. or it's like, you know, because I, I almost, again, it's like a video game, it's like a video gamey way of doing that. Like, oh, you know, in a video game, you always have, like, you know, you can just start over and play the game again. So it's almost like yeah. weaving that in in, this, in the ending of That Marcus was symbolism Kirby. that was used a lot about, about like, being able to do it over right. and start the game again. But like this time you couldn't start the game again. That was, like you said, it was devastating. I remember when you DM me on Instagram, you were like, no, Marks. <laughs> I'm like, dude, that was exactly oh. my reaction too. And even like, even like when, when it says, just what would you think? You are flying over the strawberry field, but you know it's a trap. This time you keep flying. And that was another quote from the ending of Marx's oh, God. POV. I'm still not over it. I'm still not over it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, it is devastating. <laughs> oh. And now, now Max is dead. Sam and Sadie, they're trying to fix things up. Sadie is grieving the loss of both her business partner and her life partner. Remember, she's pregnant still. And so she's got that going on. And, and, and Sadie ends up kind of like hiding herself away, ta- you know, taking refuge. Not talking to Sam. Sam is trying to take, take to take care of things at unfair games and trying to recover in the wake of Marx's absence. Because remember, Marx was the CEO. There's a whole bunch of crap going on. And even like Sam is mean to Charlotte when she calls about and asks about the concept art they left behind for our infinite days. And Sam is like this and Sam is mean to her. I can understand where he's coming from, but oh, still. Yeah, the couple? The couple. couple. The couple. They're like, uh, we left our artwork. He's like, 
bitch, my best friend just died. Like, <laughs> seriously, but then it actually ended up being, like, a good game. They actually ended up, like, yeah. adopting that game. Yeah. And, I mean, later on, Adam and Charlotte did come back and they were able to get our infinite days going at studio. But still, Sam, just so callous. <gasps> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Sadie, you know, again, there's a point where Sadie does try to go back. Like the office is about to reopen. Sam wants her to be there with him, but she's still morning walks. And she even, like, vomits. She vomits out front. And Sam lets her walk back home. He has she enough to puke. And then she starts her maternity leave early. So, and then she cuts herself off. Isn't properly answering calls. And even from Sam. And even, like, Sam. That's what I was pissed Sam's kind of, But Sam was almost kind of mean to her, too. But, and there's a point where she's like, I can't go back to Sam. And then she says, Then you're weaker than I thought. And you're saying that to her as she's grieving. Oh what? <gasps> yeah, and also it's like, maybe you guys should move offices. Like, there's literally a blood stain in the carpet. Yeah. He's like, well, we could just move the carpet. It's like, Sadie is traumatized. She cannot go back to where her soon, basically husband, domestic yeah. partnership, and the father of her child was shot dead. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, the lobby. Oh my god, the blood mark in the lobby. Yep. Sam was, yeah, Sam was not giving her a lot of sympathy. But, like, I didn't like how Sadie was, like, was, like, she kept, she, she wasn't, like, trying to help herself, I felt, too. But maybe that's just me being a little bit insensitive. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's just, like, again, so complicated. So complicated. And then they come out with the, well, they had the game Master of the Rebels. And that was a game that also Sadie really had a connection with. It was, like, this kind of, like, almost like a Shakespearean kind of, like, taking place at a theater I think it was like the 18th century or 19th century, something like that. And then they had this, the expansion pack for it. And I like how Charlotte, from the couple, she points out the Easter egg that Sadie had put in the Master of the Rebels expansion pack. It was the Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow speech. And remember, and then Mark suggested Tomorrow Games as a studio name be a reference to that speech. Yeah, yeah. Because what 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 was the speech that Mark used to give again? It was like it was to the company. It was a, it, it was a speech. It was a solilo- it was a soliloquy. I don't remember. It was like it was a soliloquy from a play. I don't know. I wish I had it written down which play it was, but it was like Macbeth or it was like some kind of play like that. Or what was it? Yes, yes. It's Shakespeare. Definitely Shakespeare. Yeah. you're right. You're right. Yeah, like Hamlet or Macbeth. Or it was it was yeah, yeah. it was something like that. And and I so I just, yeah. you know like us. A little Easter egg, you know, a way for for Max to, you know, come back. Commemorate his memory. Yes. So what do you think about part eight? Because then part eight, we dive into this whole POV of diving into the game, of diving into this, uh, into the game. So the so Western kind of like, you know, it's kind of like an Oregon Trail-inspired game. Yeah. So what do you think about this? Because when it first started, I was like, wait, what's going on? And it's, we're in the game, right? Or, or are we in the real world? But then it's like, we're in the game. I, and once we found out what what it I was, I was honestly confused. I was confused, yeah, Arthur. Like maybe of. you can explain it to me because a lot of people were like, "I could have done without that chapter." I didn't understand the significance. So I get. So it starts off as being in this western, this wild west environment, and and we're and we're following, uh, we're di- we're diving into it, and then we find out, oh, it's actually the game that they've been that they made as we're settling down, you know, in friendship. And this town, and following Emily, and then Emily ends up having like a, I feel like it's like, a, like a platonic sort of relationship with Doctor Day Dallas, this optometrist, and they end up ha- taking taking care of a child together, and again, and they they do get married, but I still feel like it's kind of platonic, still kind of in a sense, even that kind of with Sam and Sadie, 
and it has a baby, Lilo Quintus Marks Dallas. But then we find out, oh, it's actually the game, and then it's Sadie playing Emily, and then we find out Sam is the one who's playing with Dr. Dallas. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And even like the NPC, so it's like, even like Adabaster, that was an NPC in the game, Sam is is Adabaster as well. And once once Sadie finds out about this, she feels betrayed, she's like, you were trying to sneak back into my life after I cut you off, and Sam is trying to explain things. And I get the, I get the whole point of this, like trying to use this game that, that, that was made. Because Sam because Sam Sam basically made this. He he was like taking the game from the yeah. from the couple and making this to try to attract Sadie and putting all these little Easter eggs to try to attract her into it. Mm-hmm. And try to, to try to reform yeah. the connection. I can get the point of it. But at the same time, I was kind of like, I kind of felt like it, it went too long. Like, okay, it starts out, I think it's a game, but maybe it's a real world. Then I find out it, it is a game. I'm pretty sure it's Sadie playing Emily. And then I'm like, okay, but it's going, a bit, it's going on a bit too long, in my opinion. What, what, what's the point of this? Yeah. And then we go into Pioneer Chat, the chatting portion of the game, when yeah. it explains the messages and Sadie finds out it's Sam. And then I'm like, oh, now I get the point of this? But I feel like we could have compressed it a bit. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I started like understanding the parallels. Like, oh, she's this person in the game, and he's this person in the game, and he's deceiving her, but he's doing it in a way to kind of bring her back in. But I agree, it kind of felt like it was too long for the point she was trying to get across. I think the moral of this entire part eight was to see that Sam is trying to get Sadie back into his good graces via the way that they, the language that they both speak, which is gaming. But I agree. It, it felt too long and extended because I feel like we had already reached such a climactic part of the book yeah. with Marx's death and the grieving that followed. So it felt almost like this just feels like an afterthought of a chapter. And I think from what I read on Reddit, people also had similar sentiments. Like that part was kind of like yeah. too long. Yeah. I can, I, can, I can get that. I think I've heard about that as well from other people. And again, I, I get the point, but still. Although I did like the Easter egg where Sadie finds the ranch where a breaker of horses lives, an NPC who's modeled after Marx, a breaker of horses, mm. tamer of horses. So. Yeah, tra- yeah. And he, yeah. Even, he even recites a part of the Iliad. The Iliad, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, he was always yeah. like an actor. He was, he, he was on stage. He was, he was in theater. He does acting. He loved theater. And, he loves theater, yeah. yeah. And also, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, it did come from Macbeth. It says here, in summary, Macbeth's speech is about the futility and illusoriness of all life and everything we do. We are all bound for the grave, and life doesn't seem to mean anything ultimately. He is responding to the news that Lady Macbeth is dead here. It's the beginning of the end for him. So that's what the whole speech is about. Mm-hmm. I can't give any more analysis now because I'm not a Shakespearean type person, so I'm just reading yeah. off, you know. I like that, though. Oh, I yeah. I like that. Like, the futility of life is kind of like at the end of the day, we all die, and, like, we can only leave behind, like, what we've done. Yeah, yeah our legacy, you know, and... To- so what we've already accomplished. And I feel like that's what they're trying to do. Like, you know, Sadie and Sam are very much like the legacy people. They want to leave things behind for the world yeah. to sort of for the world to embrace and enjoy. And 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 form yeah. games. And video games. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And then we get to part ten. This is the final part of the book where it's just like it's kind of like like wrapping things up. There's a part where Sadie, at thirty four years old, is having a dinner with Dorf at that restaurant with a big tree, the seventy year old tree. And it's like <laughs> they're, they're having dinner and, and he got he got divorced again. Because it wasn't he engaged to like another student? Yes. And then he got divorced. Again? Yeah. 
and he's yeah. he still lost to Dave College goals apparently. <laughs> and he also thinks Sadie must have known all along that Jay Dallas was Sam's avatar, which I do wonder about that because I feel like maybe maybe you know, subconsciously or maybe like she kind of knew but she pushed it back. I can see her doing that because you know. Me too. Like yeah, she pushes off. She no yeah. couldn't be, but she kind of knows through all the Easter eggs. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then Sadie takes over for teaching Dobbs advanced game seminar at MIT, and she ends up teaching the students. She brings solution into the classroom. Yeah. Oh my God. The, yeah. So all the, like the younger kids. Yes. Like someone once cussed me out for doing this. <sighs> and all the kids are like, "This is genius." Yes. yes. And then Sam shuts down Pioneers, the Pioneers game, and and hosts an election to replace Mayor Major. And Maple Town, and then Don Kian dies from cancer. Another, another death. Oh, I hate that. Oh. And he gave, and he gave Sadie his King Kong. Up. Arcade, yes, and his, he left it as well. <laughs> that was so sweet. Yes. And she, and they're like, "Do you want it?" She's like, "I would love it. Like, I want to put it in my office." Oh yeah. That was so sweet. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Oh, also, so, so his name, so Sam's last name is originally is M A S U R. I wonder if it's Master or Major because he he legally changes it. Remember, he goes from he ends up going from M A S U R to M A D E R. I think because like they come up with like yes. a new name, a new, new identity, you know, something new, to, you know, something fresh. Yeah. But do you have any like what's yeah, the pronunciation? Yeah. Do you, like do you have any thoughts? What how do you pronounce it? I I was pronouncing it Sam Mosser and then Sam Mazer. Okay. Like laser, but Mazer. Okay. But I think I agree. He was trying to start anew. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Start fresh into his new life, his new wealthy life. Okay. So so for me, I did Mosser as in M A S U R, and then Mazer as same as you, as in laser. Yeah. 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 And then, oh oh wait, Sam oh. Okay, so wait, so I thought maybe Sadie was, was the one who couldn't see the magic eye. But then it says here, Sam and Sadie talk over the phone. She encourages him to take out the magic eye book she sent him. He's finally able to see the bird. Okay, so wait, so maybe he was the one who couldn't see the bird. Who, who couldn't see the magic eye. Oh. I thought it was, I could have sworn it was Sadie. I could have sworn it was Sadie. I thought it was Sadie too. I thought I thought it was that Sam could see it. Because remember when they were on the tube or the subway and he was like, look at the magic eye. And she like couldn't see it. Okay. Weird. <sighs> right? I'm confused now. I don't know. I, I don't. I wish I had the details yeah. better organized in my notes. Like, oh well. <gasps> Listen. To, no, no. You, you. This is very well organized. You. You've literally. We went through the entire book. This is yeah. very well organized. But that's that's a detail I thought the same. I thought she couldn't see it. Okay, listeners, listeners. If you read this book and you can know the details about this, please like please reach out to us and see if you can correct us. Or maybe yeah. I can go through this and try to look at, look through it myself, but. Hello, this is Arthur popping back in from the future once again to confirm that yes, it was Sadie who could see the magic guy in the beginning, not Sam. I don't know why I got confused by that, but oh well. Alright, now back to the show. Oh, and then Naomi. Naomi's a baby. And I love I love when Naomi when Sadie asks if Naomi wants to talk to Sam. And Naomi says, No, I don't know him. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that's basically like her pseudo dad almost. Like not like really, but you know what I mean. It's like, I can, that's like her family. That's Sadie's family. Yeah. Sam and Sadie are family. Yeah. <sighs> Chosen. And then and, you know, and Sam and Sadie are still going through the the gaming stuff. There was there was a studio, a, a gaming company that approached them about the possibility of making a third Ichigo. They did have some big games before, 
And they both were like kind of like fans of a particular game of theirs, the Samurai's Code. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like, okay, we'll fly over to New York, take some meeting. And one of the employees here, Marie, pitches the game to them. And Sam and Sadie, they, they like play the test game afterwards. And it all seems like, you know, they, you know, they can do this. Like, and it's kind of like nervous because they're handing over the property to a different studio to I handle it. Which I can understand that too, you know. But I feel like they're, they're kind of comfortable with this gaming studio, particularly. They're like, we can trust the studio to handle handle our baby. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, they're getting too old for this. They've already worked so hard. They don't need to do it anymore. They need to have someone else do it for yeah, them. Yeah, definitely. And I love the quote. There's a, a, an exchange between them when they're like, but together, together, the way you were was Mark's or Dov. And then Sam says that. And then Sadie says, how can you not know this? Lovers are common. Because I, because I loved working with you better than I liked the idea of making love to you. Because true collaborators in this life are rare. That was a little exchange they had. And yeah. that like hits at the point of their relationship. Yeah. 100%. Yes. She loved him like in the, the most way you could from a platonic perspective. Yeah. Like it wasn't about romance. Like, it was almost like her soulmate from like a friendship perspective. Yes. And, you know, they basically they're saying goodbye. Sadie and Sammy heads to the airport, was going to fly back to Boston and Los Angeles, respectively. But before then, they talk about things like Sam wanting to make maybe another game with her. And then she gives him a disc for Lido Sexist, a new game. And it's kind of like an invitation to maybe collaborate with her. And that's how the, we get to the end. That's how the book wraps up. And Yeah, it, there's so many layers to it. And I think I learned a lot, even just hearing you talk about it too. And like from your perspective and like little nuances and everything it's, and again, like it's like we said up top, it's like it covers so many different topics in a way that's very, very sly and very subtle, Mm -hmm. but she touches on so many important matters and it comes at it from a very organic human perspective, which I loved. I, yeah, I just... It's just so it's so nuanced, and although I will say, there was actually a friend of mine from a Discord server who actually said they actually tried to read this, but they DNF'd it, and I think they, they maybe weren't able to connect with the characters. Like, they found the characters kind of pissed them off a bit too much. So I could see that. Yeah. I could see that. Like, Sam and Sadie were hard to like a lot of the time. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, but I can still find them personally endearing, but still, it's like, ah! Yeah. You, you annoy me sometimes. Yeah. I know I'm in a good way, but still, and it's just like, yeah, but that's... Okay. But that's the whole book, and also, I do want to say, and to note and acknowledgement, I like how how Zevin, she mentions how her mom is named Erin, A-E, capital R-A-N, like, like, like Marx's mom, because Marx's mom is also, I guess, is named, oh, is named in honor, Marx's mom is named in honor of her own oh, mom. Oh, I love that, that's so cute, mm-hmm. and like, that makes sense, because like, Marx's parents were so nice, and they raised such a nice boy, you know? Yeah. So it, it would make sense that she kind of, it was a nod to her mother's name as well. Yes. And, and yeah, Marcia's parents. And even like, and then Sam, and then Sam also, which also just mentioned, Sam also what kind of like had a strange relationship with his dad. Right? Yeah. So. We never really heard much about his dad. Uh, not much, but it was like, you know, it, it, it was there. His, his dad, George, who his mom has left under kind of like ambiguous circumstances. But mm-hmm. I almost feel like Sam wasn't wasn't really looking back on that part of his life, though. He was just kind of like more looking forward. So that's why we weren't really getting much details about that. Yeah. yeah, I agree. He wasn't really like resting on the past. He was just yeah, he was projecting and wanting to make a better life for himself. Yes. Well, that's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Do you have any 
final thoughts on this uh, book? For anyone that's perhaps sitting on the fence because you're like, oh, I don't know, these par- characters sound like they may piss me off or I'm not a big gamer. I promise you that this is a book that I think everyone needs to read. And I've been recommending it up and down, left and right to all of my friends because it's just such a poignant piece about life, about friendship, about love, about loss, about grief, about everything, about hard work, about success. <gasps> it, it really has it all. And it was yes. very touching. Definitely, definitely. And uh, I would just, yeah... I, yeah, I would hi- obviously highly recommend it as well. I mean, obviously, we've been praising this book so much, and I, if we know if, if you haven't read this yet, if you listen to our spoilery discussions, then please don't go pick this up. There's so many, like, there's so much, so many layers in this book, you know, that you'll be able to dive into, so you know, layers that you can dive into, you know, not even just from our discussions, but you can go past that, go into the book itself. Absolutely. Uh, well, that's tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, and now we can dive into our next segment, which is Good Word. And that's where we each get to recommend something, a book, a movie, a TV show, music, anything we want. Anything we want our listeners to check out. So, Christy, what is your Good Word? Okay. So, I've actually, I just started watching this last night, the Malaysia Airlines Netflix documentary. I've been hearing about that. It's really good. Okay. It's really good. So, I, I did an episode on the Malaysia Airlines with Shannon from Fluently Forward a couple months ago like a month ago and I didn't even realize they were putting out a documentary until I saw it on Netflix. It's really, it's spooky though. Like I, uh, a, a caution to anyone who gets easily scared or you have a fear of flying, I wouldn't recommend it because there's a lot of crazy theories and really ex- what I think is a bit of exploitative footage of like the families that are missing their loved ones. But all in all, it's, it's a compelling watch. So Malaysia Airlines disappearance on Netflix documentary. It's three parts. Each each part's about like forty five minutes. Okay. Ooh, definitely keep that in mind. I feel like sometimes I'm not, I'm not I'm not diving into much true crime stuff at the moment because I feel like I have to get into get into a, into a the right headspace for that because it involves like real crimes, like real events that happened, real people who died or went missing. I have to get in the right headspace for that, but definitely keep that in mind. Totally. Yeah. What about you? My good word is going to be uh, Daredevil, specifically the, the TV show. Now, because I just I recently finished this, I recently watched the third season. It's got three seasons, and I uh, I love it. I'd always heard about people raving over it, and now I can understand why. It's just like you know, just it's just gritty superhero shows. I feel like it kind of appeal to people who, if you're like if you're not a superhero kind of like fan, it could appeal to you because yes, it has it's ostensibly you know, adapted from Daredevil from the Marvel comics, but it's not like it's not mm-hmm. it, it it is it's not like all oh, like a flashy wham bam pow superhero kind of thing like the, like the MCU. It is much more like you know it's gritty. It is darker. It almost like if you if you want a comparison, it's almost more like like the Dark Knight trilogy or like or like specifically the Dark Knight as a movie. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that tone of like approaching this from a more grounded, more realistic perspective, and. Got it. What, what 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 network is it on, or like what streaming service? Oh, you can you can watch on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's on, it's on. Oh, nice. It's on Disney Plus as long as you don't have the parental controls on, because it's a rated it's a rated like it's a rated M show, so you can only watch it if you have like the parental controls off on Disney Plus. Uh, but yeah, so it's yeah, it's really great, especially that, that that third season. Like people, especially the third season, people loved, and I'm like, holy crap, that was such a strong third season it's too bad it was yeah. cancelled because yeah. Disney bought the rights for it back from Netflix back because Daredevil used to be one of like the Netflix Marvel shows along with like The Punisher and Jessica oh. Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist 
So then he brought Rife back, and now we're going to have the upcoming uh, Daredevil 1 again series. And that'll be a Disney Plus. That'll be part of like the MCU. And, and like Matthew Cox, who played Daredevil, Matt Murdock. Uh, I mean, I, did I say Matthew Cox? Yeah. I said Shotty Cox. I meant Shotty Cox. Shotty Cox, yeah. Shotty Cox is the actor <laughs> playing Matt Murdock. <laughs> but, got it, got it, got it. But got he, it. he's coming back. But the thing is, I'm nervous because two of the actors who play like, like, like two of the main characters in the original show are not coming back yeah. for Daredevil 1 again. And like, they're, they're like the main characters of the original show. So it's like, like Disney, like, did you not want to pay them big enough paychecks because like the actors themselves aren't like big stars? They don't have enough clout. And maybe it's like, oh, we, can't, we don't want these people. They're not big stars. But it's like, so for, the, for those stars in my eyes, they play the main characters in those other yeah. shows. Like, so bring them back. Otherwise, it's like they're the OGs. Yeah, yeah. they'll be the same. So I'm nervous about that. I'm really nervous. I'm worried that this new show, born again, might fall, might become MCU y and might be all like, oh, MCU jokes. Like, let's watch all these jokes in. Let's be all MCU tone about this. And it's like, oh no. And I'm saying this as like a a fan of MCU who recognizes its flaws and can criticize it. But yeah, but yeah. Yeah, so Daredevil, the original show, the three seasons, go watch them. They're great. Fantastic. That's my good word. Love it. Oh, all right. Well, Christy, thank you so much for coming on to my show to talk about tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Thank you so much. And now you get to plug your socials, plug your podcast. Where can, you listen, where can our listeners Ooh. find you? Well, thank you so much for having me on, Arthur. It was such a pleasure. I'm so happy that we could be reconnected or we could be connected through Tori. Um, it was truly just such an honor. And I'm glad that you and I inspired each other to both read this book so we could talk about it. Um, my podcast is called X Knows All. You can find me anywhere where you get podcasts. It does deep dives on celebrity pop culture. I typically cover a single topic and just do like full research on whatever topic it is. Some of my like heaviest hitting episodes are about uh, the Murdoch murders, Malaysia Airlines, uh, Gossip Girl. So if you want to fix, it's X Knows All. X like the letter knows all. Um, and everywhere that you get your you know, podcast, and you can find me on Instagram at xnozal. And I just started a TikTok. Yes, TikTok. Yeah, TikTok. You know, I, I recently joined TikTok as well, so it's like it's a it's interesting going into that platform and learning all the ins and outs. It's so hard, like it's so intimidating, but I'm trying. Well, I hired someone to help me because I can't do it. I, you know what? <laughs> like, Understandable. <laughs> someday I'm yeah, someday I'm gonna hire like an editor for this podcast because I spend way too much time editing this damn show. <gasps> No, literally, it's so much more people don't understand. So, yeah, TikTok is one area that I don't even have capacity in my brain to learn. So I'm just like, someone else do it for me. But, yeah, yeah I'm on there, too. Good, good. And as for my socials, you can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore sense critic. You can follow my personal accounts on Twitter, GoodPod, StoryGraph, Letterboxd, and TikTok at author underscore ant18. You can find me on Goodreads at author Howell. If you want to email me, you can reach me at email twocentscritic at yahoo.com you can also check out my blog at twocentscritic.com and make sure you subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts whether it's on Spotify Stitcher, Anchor, iTunes, GoodPods, all of those services and make sure you do the ratings and reviews especially because they help with any podcasters move out the shot I see this on on every episode so I don't know listeners, maybe you're you're tired of this, but guess what, it's important for any new listeners who are tuning into these episodes. It is and again, thank you so much, Christy, for coming on here. What a blast. Oh my god, you're so you're so sweet and so smart. Thank and you, I, thank yeah, you. it was great being here. And until next time, stay healthy 
and stay strong.